don't know what that was. I do want to get a hold of myself. I started uh, I started watching the movie and I was like, I'm going to need wine or something for this film. Well, screw it. We're going to do it anyway. They're not good lines, Max. Because I wanted to see if they had been optimistic about Supergirl will return. Hey, this is Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Max. And I'm Jason. And this is a special episode of Max and Jason Watch a Movie. Today, we are going to be a bonus episode of our explorations of the Donnerverse. We are bringing you Supergirl from 1984, starring Faye Dunaway, Helen Slater, Art Bauchner, Peter Cook, Mia Farrow, Mark McClure. Brenda Vaccaro and Peter O'Toole, directed by Jeannot Schwark, and we are ready to go. Before we, before I let you have it at it with the production notes on this film, this is actually a pretty powerhouse cast. Yes. Faye Dunaway, Mia Farrow, Peter O'Toole. Some other people are in it. Yes. Um, but, but I mean, those are the major players, and those guys were, this is 1984, they're still heavy hitters in Hollywood. Very much so, very much so, yes. Um, maybe you can reveal some of the mystery of how they ended up in this project. A, a lot of it would be guessing work on my part. Okay. Uh, first of all, we need to start off by pointing out that this, at this point in the series, the Salkinds are still in charge. Mm -hmm. This film was made on the heels of Superman 3, which um, although not really a flop, was not the runaway success that the first two films were. Yep. And Warner Brothers was not really pleased. And the Salkinds weren't either. And so actually they were the ones that wanted to go in this new direction by um, casting a new star mm -hmm. um, and, and focusing around a new character. However, if you look at the Saul Kine's career uh, up to this point, most of their film are just stock full of all-star cast. I mean, if you, in previous podcasts, we had talked about their Three Musketeer film from the early 70s. And if you just look at the cast list, everyone in the movie is a star. Uh, and, and the Superman movies are the same way. So they were big believers in star power. They were big believers in, you know, taking these big stories with these big characters and bringing in the best cast that they possibly could. And they did that here. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it should also be pointed out, much to your surprise and the surprise of anyone who either has seen this film or will see, mm -hmm. wasn't really necessarily a low budget movie. Um, if you, despite, despite the look, despite the look, if you actually look at the its cost compared to Superman Four, which would follow, it, Superman Four was much much cheaper. Supergirl was pretty close to the same cost as Superman Three. Okay, for those listeners that have listened to our Superman Three podcast, uh, we talk a lot about how Superman Three is. Was originally a, a big budget deal that the original script that they originally came up with huge they didn't really have the budget for it so they really pared everything down in supergirl they decided not to pare things down they decided to, to go big and and we'll discuss the result but the original idea the salt kinds wanted to go in a different direction they still wanted this film to be tied into the superman series originally christopher reeve was supposed to be in this film in a cameo yeah. he definitely left the production very early on if he was ever there at all. Yeah, the only the only nod to him is a kind of worshipful moment where Kara Zor-El sees a poster of her cousin Superman, uh, and right. that's 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 all we get of Christopher Reeve in this film. Yeah. So the salt kinds, and I do I do know this. I I um, there is a making of Supergirl documentary on YouTube, which I, I would kind of recommend. It's not a must see, but I mean it's it's kind of interesting to see how how they you know what they thought while they were making this film. Is it a modern documentary? Do they have interviews? No, no it's. It's, it's very contemporary. Okay. So everyone's, you know, everyone is there being interviewed on set. It includes 
Peter O'Toole, it includes everybody. And the Salkinds at the very beginning, it's very clear that they were pretty excited about this. Like this, this was their next big project. Mm -hmm. Very early on, Warner Brothers was involved because Warner Brothers had the release rights. So Warner Brothers, as they had been with the other Superman films, were very involved in this process. Although the Salkinds funded a lot of the film from their own pocket. Okay. At a certain point, Warner Brothers bowed out. I don't know why. Uh, viewers of the film might know why. But uh, Warner Brothers bowed out and the Salkinds ended up having to find someone to distribute them. Okay. And they, they basically kind of made it on their own. And as the project went on, um, it, it, it kind of ceased to measure up to their vision. They originally asked Richard Lester, who had directed Superman 3 and had, had completed Superman 2, to come back and work his quote-unquote magic on Supergirl. And he said no. So they instead chose Jeanneau Schwark. He was like a French director, I think. French director, who I, I, I have read somewhere, and I didn't read that today, but I have read somewhere that he was famous for working quickly, you know, working uh, on schedule, okay. which the Salkinds are big fans of. Jeanneau Schwark is somebody, he had um, probably most famous for doing Jaws 2. Okay. Which I like. I do too. And we can talk about that some other time. But apparently, he was a recommendation for Christopher Reeve himself. Jeanneau Schwark also did a film called uh, Somewhere in Time. Okay, okay. Love Story, starring Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour, I believe. Yeah, yeah. And it's a time travel movie. I've actually never seen it. But my, my mother loved it. Okay, well, well, there you go. Christopher Reeve recommended uh, Jeanneau Schwark to Salkine. They took him up on his recommendation and they brought him in. And they decided to do the same thing that they did in 1976 when they cast Christopher Reeve. They really were kind of hoping that lightning would strike twice. And they want they chose to cast an unknown. Okay. So they selected uh, by the way, same casting director, which I would not have known if I if I hadn't watched this documentary, but it's the same casting director from the other Superman. The same okay. fellow that chose Christopher that basically kind of pushed Christopher Reeve is the one that really, really pushed Helen Slater. Ended up getting the role. In fact, he rolled her out first. Okay. On the looks alone, I I think she's a great choice. I, I don't want to blame her too much for her performance in the film, but she does look Supergirl. You know, I think she does look the part. Uh, I don't know what you thought, but I thought she was a good choice uh, as I was watching it. You know, one of the few things I can say that well, that's a good idea in this well, film. I, yeah, I mean, and actually they thought that they had struck gold with her because yeah. that they, they liked her look, they liked her approach. And when you watch the documentary, you get a sense from everybody that in the documentary that everyone involved in the film thought that this was just the beginning for her. She was going to be a big name yeah. forward, which, which, which didn't happen. No. Uh, it's not that she, she never did anything else. She's been very active in television. She did do other films. She's still very active in the Superman television universe and has been for some time. Yeah. And she, she's been very loyal to the Superman, Supergirl myth. Well, well, the fans love her. They do. I mean, even though this film, you know, is what it is, and we'll get into that in a minute, but, you know, she's a big hit on the, on the Comic-Con circuits and all the, you know, all the places that she could be hit. People don't hold this film against her and there's stuff that they do like about her in the role. So, I mean, there are things about the film people like. Yeah. And we'll talk about some of those things. Yeah. It's a short list. <laughs> it is. It is a short, it is a short list. Well, I guess I'll, I'll, I'll say, you know, I guess we can go jump right into uh, our experience with the film. I think you had told me that you had seen it for many, many, many years ago. When I was a kid, I don't think I've watched this since I was, since 1984. Okay. I did not see it then, yeah. which is kind of weird because, you know, our family, we were kind of fans of the series, but we did not see it. I watched it uh, several months ago yeah. for the first time ever. Okay. I watched it again today. So I, I have seen it twice in the last several months, and 
just to kind of uh, immerse yourself in the Donnerverse. Exactly. exactly. Which, and we should say, to this day, Supergirl is considered canon. For those who care, it is considered canon with the four Superman films and Superman Returns, for that matter. Okay. It's it, it is considered to be taking place in the same. Universe. Okay. Um. So on the production end, I just want to say this film is a disaster. Not in terms of cast. They had heavyweights, and I'll say this: Helen Slater tries. Faye Dunaway actually seems to be really trying to salvage this film. Um, I was watching her really closely today as as, as the film was going on. I was like, she is like really trying in this movie. She reminded me of like Ben Kingsley or Terrence Stamp and other Drek that I've seen them in, where they're just like, we're gonna do this. We're gonna we're gonna put ourselves in the running for an Academy Award in this terrible movie, right? And Faye Dunaway, I I lamented a lot that this wasn't a better film because she was game for a better movie, and she she really does try hard, but she is underserved by this script and the direction oh. and the set design and the costumes uh a lot of the supporting cast i could go on yeah no i, I and the I, lighting and the sound and the editing uh i'll get back to you if i think anything else i i i can't argue with any of that i will say I, I have now seen it twice in the last few months and i had a lot more fun with it today than i did the first time okay i mean it made me laugh a lot i did have some fun with it yeah 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 maybe this is a good launching point uh, you were just very friendly to helen slater i might be a little more friendly i actually think that her performance kind of um you're quite right visually in terms of being you know very kind of photogenic she looks the part i think that the way the script treats supergirl where she is from the the, the innerverse the innerverse yes yeah, um i think that helen slater's performance kind of works because she kind of plays kara mm-hmm. as kind of a babe in the woods absolutely absolutely and i think that that's fine i and i think like i said i i don't really have i don't want to lay any of my beef with her because like you said I think that she does a great Kara Zor-El and she also does her transformation very well I actually thought that her transformation from Supergirl to Linda Lee or Lucy Lee, yeah. is almost as convincing in terms of just like looking at her uh, as Christopher Reeves is uh, Christopher I Reeves, agree um, because she does change herself a lot more she doesn't just put on glasses her, she gets she goes from blonde hair to brown hair and she takes on a totally different wardrobe my, my big beef with just about everything in the film is just how skeletal the script is uh, and the dialogue. Oh, I mean, exactly. Because like one of the things you're talking about here is her babe in the woods learning new things. They rush through that, you know, what I mean? and and it makes it hard to as the as the viewer to enjoy that 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 education that she's getting. You know what I mean? Uh, absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, basically, um, she's and, and uh, I, I mean, I guess we have to back up and, and and set some things up as we usually do. Sure, sure. And and you have to help me out because um, it's weird. The, the, the apparently there's this uh, Kryptonian scientist named. Named Zoltar, played by Peter O'Toole, who developed barely, barely played by Peter O'Toole, but go uh, on. Yeah. Okay, well, who, who um, developed some? Apparently, he's a lot like Jor-el in yeah. in that he developed a way to survive the explosion of Krypton by building this city that exists in inner space. Like it's a, it's almost like a microverse. It's like a microverse, and he lives there with all of these surviving Kryptonians, which includes Kara Zor-el, who is our protagonist, yeah. and her parents, Zor-el. And uh, Allura. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, I, I guess is Zorel is Jorel's brother. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, they are. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and so Kara is growing up in this city, and she's befriended Zoltar, who's this eccentric scientist. Who very confusing. Even though he's the one that created this city, there are also guardians that are protectors of the power source of the city, which is called the octahedron. The octahedron. 
what's it what's the what's the wand that he has can't remember what he calls it yeah i cannot remember what he calls it apparently despite the fact that he should be the absolute ruler of the city yeah he, he ends up being a rather naughty scientist who wants to leave and has been playing all of these games with the octahedron because he's learned how the octahedron can be used to mimic the creation of creatures and plant life on earth which he's obsessed with yeah, yeah. and he's he's befriended Tara yeah. and uh, he's he's taught her about earth he looks up to him he teaches her how to create all of the little earth things that he, he creates with with this with the, the other thing about the octahedron is that it is the power source for uh, for Argo City right right, right. and so, so he's taught her how to play with this this source of power that who knows how many thousands of people depend on he's a very irresponsible scientist the most irresponsible scientist I've seen in science fiction you know for a long time <laughs> okay which I guess he kind of breaks even because he also created Argo City in the first place so I guess he ends up kind of finishing at a 500 record here but, but the problem with his character is that he was responsible enough to save all these people yeah. and now suddenly he's just so kind of flippant about it oh yeah I mean uh, 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 he's talking to there's a moment where uh, he's getting chewed out by uh, Kara's parents I can't remember about what because it doesn't matter it, it's uh hey let's have a move this move the plot forward fight and yeah, she yeah. Uh, as we all have we all have that fight in our lives the move the plot forward fight and Kara walks off and and while he's talking to me uh, to Mia Farrow great actress you know probably not too far off the heels of Chinatown you know who has, who has very few lines in this movie by the way <laughs> she do this movie and her like you know her her drab husband are yelling at Zar Zaltar he like bends down and puts the octahedron under his foot and kicks it behind him so that so that, that Kara can play with it right and she makes yeah. him she makes a giant dragon fly and the effect is so-so like all the effects like when we first come to Argos uh, the camera the, some people walk by the, the the frame I'm sorry walk by the camera and we get to see kind of like the background and I swear to Odin Jason the people walk in front of an old shower curtain I had you know like the the boundary of Argo City is the plastic that you would put on your windows to keep you know from losing heat in the winter you know this is this is these are the problems that you have immediately when you start watching this movie you see your shower curtains and you see plastic that you put on your windows to stop energy loss it's an it's an elaborate set it is it is not imaginative or creative like for example the set or krypton in the first superman film. well isn't that a jarring so is so you're coming into this new donnerverse film and you it's the salkines and it's, it's a continuation of the of the of the of the kryptonian saga and the whole thing it's I, I thought as i was watching it i wouldn't have been necessarily jarred as a kid in 84 i wasn't probably old enough to be jarred but if i was a big fan i'd be like this doesn't look like the krypton from city doesn't look anything like you know the, the cities that we see and the, or the place that we see in in superman one and two uh it, but it's an elaborate set but it's not very imaginative in the way it hides the props the everyday kind of like that plastic the shower curtain right they don't do much to dress the the everyday stuff that they use like just to use a quick example i'm not going to go into too much detail think of the cantina scene in star wars there's a lot of everyday items in there that they dress well enough to hide that they make look like science fiction so anyway go on i'm sorry i'm thinking no, no i i i agree with you very much you get that feel in fact you get that feel even before you go into argo city yeah. if the camera is panning towards argo city you're like what the hell is that yeah absolutely <laughs> and you say that you ask that question a lot in this movie visually the film 
okay, well, let's stop. The film really does swing for the fences. Yeah. It, it tries to really give us a lot. But I think that that's, you know, when you compare it to Superman 3, which which looks good in terms of the special effects, but Superman 3 doesn't really try to give us a lot of really elaborate sci-fi sets, a lot of really elaborate sci-fi special effects. Supergirl really does try to give us that. Yeah. And they just, the script calls for it, and I think they struggle in delivering. Argos is an example. The layer of Selena and Bianca is another example of just bad design, bad set design. I mean, I get that they're, it sounded, it sounds to me a little bit like their budget kept shrinking in this film, but you know, but even before that, there's the, the problem of like, was the script rushed? I mean, because you, as you say, it was, and we're going to get into a little bit, this is kind of an ambitious script and it's kind of a new direction for the, the kind of foe that a super person, a Kryptonian will fight. Yeah. So, so I have a theory, listeners who have listened to our Superman three podcast. And if you haven't should, I kind of, at the very beginning, I, I kind of give a synopsis of Ilya Salkine's original treatment, Superman three, yeah. which is extraordinarily ambitious. Yeah. I actually believe that had the Salkine's done that in Superman three, it would have looked like this film because that it was a, you know, that script, which involved Brainiac and Mr. Mitzaplik and time travel and evil castles and all these things. I don't think they could have done that on that budget. No, no, no. So I think that with Supergirl, they decided, well, screw it. We're going to do it anyway on virtually the same budget. I, I can't remember. It's very close. I, I can't remember which film was more expensive, but Superman three and Supergirl are very close. They're not far at all. So they're in the interverse. I go on with your interverse, the microverse where they're at kind of synopsis to get us started because I have a I have a question for you about the narrative a bit and I, I want you to get us to a point point where you feel that like we're ready to start talking about the story a bit. You're very optimistic that anyone, including me, would have an answer to your questions about <laughs> Uh, so, so what ends up happening is Kara ends up using the the um, uh, to to animate a the dragonfly or whatever that she's that she's created, and it begins flying around, and she's she's quite quite excited about this until it flies through the the paper thin uh, of our brain, the membrane that keeps out the vacuum of inner space, right? <laughs> sucked out, and they're all Peter O'Toole uh, turns around and tries not valiantly to act. Kara, Kara, Mia Farrow and her unassuming husband. Kara, Kara, what are you doing? And she's about to get sucked out of the the uh, the membrane. They pull her back in and then there's a, a, a terrible effect of the wand that Zoltar closes up the plastic with, you know, and then they pull her away. She doesn't get rebuked for this really too much, does she? They yell at Zoltar a bit. Yeah, yeah they, they yell at Zoltar. Uh, the octahedron is gone. It flew out into inner space. Yeah, and uh, oh, uh, by the way, uh, sidebar, uh, Zor-El is played by Simon Ward, who played the Duke of Buckingham in the Three Musketeers film, also by uh, by the the Salkinds, and Faye Dunaway played Milady in those. Actually, in this film, we actually get a return of two veterans from the Salkind Musketeer. Okay, okay. So these are people who are willing to come back and work for the Salkinds again, despite they exactly. might have, they, they might have thought, well, they'll pay yeah. us. It'll be like four movies that we don't have to act in because we'll film them all right now. Um, but <laughs> that was an optimistic view. Um, so, so then Zoltar, after after the octahedron goes flying out, he's basically like, "Oh, I've doomed us all." You know, what, does he does he does he talk about going after it, or does he just say, "I've got to go to the Phantom Zone now," or whatever? Or he can he can go get the octahedron. He'll just have to he go got, through the binary. He yeah, he he talks about going after it. Kara ends up getting into a little egg and doing it while they're not watching. Which I guess Zorel and Allura, you know, their supervision as parents is not mentioned at all. No, no, um, no. This uh, 
they are considering she just almost got sucked, almost got sucked out uh, alien style. Yeah. And I mean, after that, I would not let my kid out of my sight after this. And Zaltar is talking about the binary and the, the egg he's got to get in. And uh, and then while they're having this argument, Kara just goes up and gets in the egg. And it that's all it takes to set it off, apparently, because it closes up around her. Well, okay. Look, you're putting me in a position where I'm I'm having to try to explain what's uh, you know the 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 text of the film and what's happening. I think we could assume it's not a position I like to be in. Uh, I think we can assume that, that Kara has been trained by Zoltar because you know he's taught her everything that he knows, kind of like Doc Brown and and Marty McFly, maybe okay, that kind okay, of. Relationship. Okay. And so she knows how to operate it, and she goes out and goes from inner space to outer space. And Zoltar is uh, incredibly confident she will be uniquely safe. I assume knows she's going to Earth. Well, I, you have to wonder. They don't ever expel it out because, like, the script writer didn't care to to explain that Zaltar knew about Kryptonian physiology and Earth, I guess, you know. The script doesn't explain a lot. No, no. Um, I, I think that's what you were saying, that the script, it, it, it cuts a lot of corners. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. so he tells them that, oh, it'll be safe. Fine, we're doomed. Your end will be quick, though. I, because of my transgressions, must go into the Phantom Zone while I, I will be tortured forever. <laughs> and so, so, I mean, if I were everybody in Argos, I'd be like, well, we're going to the Phantom Zone with you, guy, because that's better than being killed in a few minutes. But again, there's that, it's just that terrible, terrible direction, terrible script, because Peter O'Toole just doesn't, his, his Zoltar does not care at all. I, you know, that that's right. I actually, I, I want to say this. I do want to say this. The, the only performance in the film that I like is is Helen Slater as Hara. Okay. I, I really do no. not like, I don't like anyone else. I, you mentioned Faye Dunaway, you know, giving it her all. And, and, and I give you that. I give you that. I mean, um, the script is horrible. I think that we have a director who um, he's kind of a that'll do director. You like that um, he would just film some of these scenes and then cut print and just just let it go because there there are no real performances that are really teased out of anybody. No, that, that goes back to Faye Dunaway doing her best without any real direction. You know, she's well, she's reading her lines like a pro, and her co her 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 henchman Bianca is just like, oh, I've got to read this and we've got to leave. I I cannot wait to be done with this movie. That's how Bianca reads every line. No, they're not, they're not good lines, Max. No, no, not, no. I could, I can, I can understand why the actress who played Bianca wants out, uh, and she wants to cut, go have a cigarette in the day, get back in the trailer, drink a bunch of wine, and pretend this movie never happened. But, but Faye Dunaway does try, and I, I feel bad for her because she never, she never crosses over to making it a good performance. I, 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 I agree. Um, so the very next scene, uh, which will be helpful in kind of uh, laying out for everybody uh, the problem with Jeannot Schwark's direction. And, and I'll just say right now, this is a terribly directed movie. We've kind of implied that, but we need to just put that on the table right now. It, 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 uh, it, it's just really awful. And in the very next scene, which is maybe, oh God, maybe the worst scene in the movie. It, it's quite a competition to the bottom in this film. But uh, Faye Dunaway as Selena and Peter Cook as Nigel are having a picnic in the On middle. a tiger skin throw rug. I just wanted to put that out there. It's got the head and everything. It does. And and they're they're having this picnic and they're having a conversation which we are only given hints as to what their relationship is. But what we kind of what we don't realize, I guess, yet, but later becomes clear, and I guess we kick ourselves that it wasn't abundantly obvious. Nigel is a high school math teacher who's the most skilled warlock. <laughs> 
planet Earth. And Selena is is this woman who is following him around to be taught all of the 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 the, the arcane mystic arts of black magic. And they don't like each other. That's very clear from this scene all the way to the end of the film. Yep. They're having this picnic, and suddenly Selena's fort, uh, uh, luck takes a big turn as the octahedron lands right in their in their jam or their in their great poupon mustard. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, what it is exactly. Which when that happens, I don't know if you notice this. They pick up their champagne glass before they get up and run for the hill. You know, because they're kind of shocked. Something just hit their great poupon, and they you know, grab their their champagne glasses. They move. You know, what's this and this kind of thing. Yeah. And then in a scene that could have come from one of the Beatles movies, uh, because okay, um, in, in the Beatles' second movie, Help, there's this mad scientist who is trying to help get this ring off of Ringo Starr's finger. Yeah, yeah. He can't do it, okay? And he's he's stunned that he can't get the ring off of his finger, and he says, fantastic! With a ring like that, I could, dare I say it, rule the world. And for some reason, Faye Dunaway's character, Selena, by just finding this octahedron, although I guess she does kind of look into it, and there's weird lighting that occurs in her face. She says some kind of weird poem about living forever. We're never allowed into what the hell's going on, or what, what she perceives, or anything like that. But she suddenly sees that she does not need Nigel anymore. She now has this, this um, octahedron, which is going to help her become the, the witch that she always wanted to be. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she tries to leave. Of course, he has the keys. Clever. Before you go on, I want to talk a little bit about the octahedron effect. It's it's uniquely terrible in a film full of terrible effects. It's a ball with some that, that lights up. And to make the effect work, obviously, the actors have to pick it up a very specific way and oh. hold it into up to the camera so that you guys can't, I'm making the gestures, but you guys can't see it because the mic doesn't, the mic doesn't do that for me. But but they're holding it in such a way as to hide the mechanism that causes the ball to spin. It, it looks awkward every single time we see it. Um, it yeah. looks awkward when when uh, Zaltar is like manipulating it with the dildo wand that he has, you know? And he's like making circles around the octahedron with the, the spinning glow light dildo wand and making trees and whatever happened. I had a dicey moment when uh, Helen Slater sat down with the wand. I so what movie am I watching here? But... <laughs> Anyway, so so, but the, the octahedron is a terrible effect. I mean, do you agree? I'm not wrong about that, am I? No, you're not. You're not wrong at all. You're not wrong at all. Um, if, if the script was better, it would be forgivable. But neither are good. There's um, there's a moment in the making of documentary that actually um, shows Jeannot Schwark directing this scene, in which he takes Peter Cook aside and he says, "So what you're going to do is you're going to look up into the sky and you're going to see just a, a, a red, a red, yellow, and blue streak. You know, you don't know who it is. Maybe you." think it's Superman. And and then you're, you're just going to react to that. Yeah. And then Peter Cook turns to the camera. I can't believe they left this into the documentary. And he said, uh, that's the most elaborate direction I've received on this film yet. <laughs> I'm basically just playing myself. That's crazy. Peter Cook, I believe, was a partner of Dudley Moore. Okay. Probably known better to British audiences um, uh, before and up to that point. But he was he was also a fairly big name in British cinema. Okay. So so the scene that you're referring to, though, is like, so Peter Cook's character, Nigel, gets left behind by Faye Dunaway, who's chewing through scenery as best she can. And then then we get the presentation of Supergirl, because she pops up out of the lake, and he sees that, right? But, yeah. but prior to that, we see 
see Supergirl moving through inner space, which is one of the mo more terrible effects shots, you can tell the compositing in this film, uh, where they they composite the bl the blue screen shots with the with the backgrounds that they're going to use, is terrible in this film. It is it is you know t television bad, you know 1984 television bad. I mean, you can see like a little halo around them where the where the the scene doesn't quite seem uh, seamlessly integrate. So she goes through inner space, and at first she's trying to act. Helen Slater, I mean, is trying to act, you know, a little nervous, and then just before she bursts out of her egg, which is a big step down from the, the Kal-El ship, by the way. Uh, it, 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 there's also no explanation for how she gets across. No, no, no. And because uh, she leaves Argo City in kind of this crypt Kryptonian nightgown. Right. And, and then at some point she just decides to put on a costume and then she makes a, you know, a double guns, you know, pose, a double biceps pose. And then she jumps out of the lake. Not wet, by the way. She emerges out of a lake. I guess inner space is in the water, deep in the lake. And this is one of the few scenes where I think that Helen Slater is able to kind of do okay work and they they kind of capture this moment where this 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 fish out of water this new it's almost a little bit like uh though not nearly as good the Daryl Hannah stuff from Little Mermaid -ish. I'm not Little Mermaid but uh Flash. Flash where she's like just completely enchanted by everything that's new and we yeah. get a little scene where Kyra flies a little bit and the effects aren't terrible of the in the live flight where they, they have her doing wire work it's okay for the time yeah. and uh she crushes a rock and she flies around a little bit and Nigel sees some of this and then Helen Slater sorry Karzorel flies off I think I think all of this stuff is okay yeah yeah you know I mean I mean you know effects aside the, the time that she spends kind of discovering her powers you know that's that's a good move because you know the difference between her and her, her cousin yeah. which, you know, every opportunity she has say that my cousin yeah. Clark Kent despite being from Krypton was raised like you and me yeah. and in this film and this is not true in the Supergirl television show which I've seen a few episodes but in this film, Kara, this is all new to her. Yeah. Does not understand our our culture, our society, our you know the biology of our plant life. She doesn't she doesn't understand any of that except English. So uh, she does she speaks um, the the but the time that is spent kind of exploring that is is um, one of the wiser things the movie does. Now I think stepping back a little bit, I think that what would have made that scene the compressed nature of that scene work a little better, and we could have gotten to her not understanding culture the culture of Earth, but if just a couple lines earlier in the script where maybe Zaltar was like, we're going to try and get everybody from Argos to Earth, and we will have a much different experience of Earth than the Earthlings will because of our Kryptonian biology. So if, if there was some way in which she kind of was prepared for that a little bit, if, or, or if they prepared the audience for her to kind of think, oh, I can crush things, I can fly, I can do all kinds of stuff, you know? I, I, I agree, because, because I mean, um, the script would have been better if Zal, I mean, let me rewrite it right now or we can rewrite it. Yeah. Daltar was the scientist who maybe had created Argo City but now he thinks it's a good idea that everyone as you just said transfer to Earth but no one else thinks that they should do it. Yeah. He's kind of taken Kara under his wing and she understands what it is that he's trying to do. Like that would be there would be a lot more kind of dramatic power no, yeah, yeah. like that as opposed to this kind of kind of almost comic um, situation and you could to, to come to Earth. Well and actually you could have still had some of that comedy with her being like, oh my God, I didn't realize I was going to be that kind of, that powerful or, you know, uh, you could have had some things like that. You could have still had a lot of comedy beats in there. Uh, like with the truckers that we'll meet in a little bit. She's looking for, is she looking for her cousin or she, I can't remember what she's looking for. She's, she's really, it's after she's flown over fields with galloping horses. Well, and see, and that, because she's been fascinated, that is something that the script does kind of talk about. She is kind of fascinated with the idea of Earth because Zaltar has in, infected her with that romance, yeah. that Earth romance. And if the special effects 
sex had been better here as she's she flies over the earth and she's seeing creatures and landscapes that she's never seen before because Argo City is shower curtains and insulation plastic, right? Yeah. So, so she's in this new place that's got a really rich tapestry. But the compositing, it comes back and bites us again. It is terrible. The lighting on high doesn't match anything, any of the scenery that she's supposed to be flying through. It never I works. I like it a little better than you. I like the idea of it, but yeah, I don't like the effects. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I mean, I mean, actually, I, I, I hear what you're saying, but like even uh, like kind of the ballet scene um, that she does that you referred to that you said was okay for a time. Well, the reason that looks the way that it does is because there's no compositing there at all. That's no, no. on a crane. I think that stuff's done really well. I mean, uh, they I, even swing her over the river and she puts her hand in the water. I that, like that was a great scene. And I have to say that, I mean, I, I the only reason why I'm saying it's okay is because I thought that some of the choreography wasn't great. That moment where she is like fully comfortable with flight and she flies out over the lake and she, like you just said, runs her hand through the water. It's a brilliant Supergirl moment, right? And a brilliant kind of awakening moment. But after three films, Superman 1, 2, and That's true. Uh, Richard Pryor, they've really mastered this, this crane flight business. And she does it great. And like they, any of those scenes where it's just her on the crane and the wires is as good as anything that we've seen for the most part in any of the other films, I think, you know? I, I thought that's fine, but I just had a little problem with some of the choreography. Well, I'm, I'm, look, I'm cutting the film some slack here. I mean, it's 1984 and I think it, I think it works. Yeah. I'll, I'll concede to you that it doesn't, it's not perfect. Yeah. And you even said that, you know, for its day, it was okay. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm going to cut it a little bit more slack than you did. Okay. Okay. So she's, she's flying around. She's, she's seen horses and, uh, and then she's in the city and she lands on the street of a big <laughs> city. Um, yeah. And she meets her first earthling. Not nice guys. Not nice guys. Max Headroom and some other guy. I don't know. Uh, I thought I recognized them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the actor. Do you know the actor's name? I don't. Uh, I'll, uh, I'll, maybe I'll cut it in later. But anyway, it's a, the the actor who plays one of these assholes who sexually harasses Kara Zor-El is, becomes a very famous actor of the 80s and, uh, and and a very good character actor. He's been a lot of stuff. But yeah. uh, in, in, this, in this film, he's a nobody. Sidebar. The actor in question is a guy named Matt Frewer. F-R-E-W-E-R. I'm probably, I probably butchered the, pr the pronunciation. He's known for a lot of movies, Watchmen, Hercules, Pixels, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. And he's been working almost since his days as an actor on Max Headroom. He's currently working on shows like Perry Mason, Fear of the Walking Dead, The Magicians, The Order, Castlevania. Busy actor, and he does a lot of comedies, and he does a lot of voice work for animation. You guys have seen him, so into the sidebar. And uh, so these two guys, these truckers, they get out and they're like talking to her and uh, and she's asking them for help. Hey, I'm trying to find the octahedra, the octahedron or uh, my cousin. I don't remember what she says to them. In perfect, unaccented English, she says, she says, ah, guys. And they start messing with her skirt and she gets rightfully offended, right? Yeah. And then uh, she uh, she blows one of the guys away with her. How does she handle the first guy? Well, first she takes him by the jaw. Oh, she, she starts to crush his jaw. Yeah, she grabs the guy who try, he, he tries to kiss her, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then she does what? She picks him up like by two fingers. She picks him up by the jaw and kind of kind of squeezes it, picks him up off the ground. Yeah. Now, before you go on, after that moment, these guys, this is a world in which Superman exists, right? Yeah. And this is a woman who's dressed like Superman, right? Yeah. And she just did something that no human being should be able to do, right? Right. And after she hurls Max Headroom down with two fingers after holding him like, you know, two feet up in the air, this is when these two guys decide to increase the aggression. And But there's yeah. a nice moment 
moment, and, and I wish it left me wishing like for a better script where she says, why are you like this? And he says, that's just who we are. You know, and I thought, gosh, in a better script, that, that might have been an interesting line. But, you know, here it's just like, well, I would like to know more about what she's going to learn about humanity. But anyway, these guys try and attack her and she hammers them and uh, and then just lets them go so that they can harass somebody else later on. I didn't I didn't find her resolve of that very good. Well, but but she doesn't understand. OK, she doesn't understand law and order. True, and, true, true enough. And, and keep in mind that on, on Krypton, there are not many people that behave like this. And the ones that are, are dismissed to the Phantom Zone in like two minutes. That's, that's a good point. Uh, so good point. I, I, like I hear you saying, I, I could go with that. I could go, like, despite what you just said, yeah. the scene would work for me if those guys were given anything garbage dialogue. Yeah. Like, this is who we are. Because <laughs> she asked them, why are you doing this? And oh, yeah, yeah. that's fine. She's just totally confused. This is just who we are. And 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 I was immediately like head in hand, like, oh. And then and then you know at the very end of the scene, why don't we just kinda not tell anybody about this? It's just it's very, very lazy writing. Why don't we just not tell anybody that we just tried to assault a 16-year-old girl? <laughs> right. I mean, if you're a criminal, that's wise. You know, this was before before you could take selfies of your felonies, uh, that the police would have right, right. immediately uh pick you up for. Doesn't this feel a little bit like some Disney moments like there's like a Snow White feel to it she wakes up and there's a rabbit looking at her she's fighting witches the witches are always looking at her through uh you know mystical glass it feels yes. very it feels very uh fantasy very uh fable in some ways they don't ever they don't ever lean into that or make that an, a fun idea or ex- explicit idea but I felt like they were really kind of trying to draw from some of these fantasy elements uh you know the love potion that we'll see later on and I, I don't want to get too far ahead of ourselves but yeah. there's a lot of these little fantasy moments that if I'm being honest I would love to have seen in a better I would have loved to have seen all that fleshed out in a better script and a better film I thought I thought some of those stuff oh, some of that stuff sounded great you like great ideas. you like it you like those I, I liked that I liked the I liked the direction that they wanted to go I think you know I I think because they don't ever they don't do it to my satisfaction in this film but but so in other films we've seen Superman have science fiction fight Kryptonians have science fiction fights and one of the things that happens in the comic book and I, I, can't, I can't in other in other in some of our other work we've kind of gone into the comic book side of things. I'm not, I don't know a whole lot about the origin of Supergirl, but I do know that Kryptonians are very vulnerable to magic in, in the DC universe. And so I, I kind of thought, well, this is kind of an interesting idea. It, it could have been an interesting idea. So I, 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 I mean, I want to keep following up on what you're saying because actually several times while watching this movie, several times, more than a few times, I actually thought, you know, ah, there was a really, really good movie at, um, that, that could have been made here. And it went off the rails a lot earlier than other yeah. That we talk about that are great ideas that just weren't executed well. Um, but I, I I I agree with you. I actually think that if they'd had a better writer, better director who who knew how to use the budget that they had, that there were some ideas here that they were not okay. They were not going in a wrong direction initially. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, they had some good ideas, and then things went off the rails quickly. Yeah, I I mean I and I don't know exactly where it went off the rails. Like, maybe it happened in pre-production, or maybe it's the the fact that the director was like you said just a, that's fine that's fine yeah. because this film used Pinewood Studios for its effects yep. and, oh, and we've talked about the storied uh, special effects 
House Pinewood Studios or a film house or a studio, film studio in London. And it's where they did Superman 1 and 2. It's where they did the the, the Tim Burton Batman movies a lot of the time. Uh, Star Wars is a big pine. They used to do a lot of Pinewood stuff until, of course, George Lucas became huge and could create his own effects house. And James Bond movies. The James Bond movies. Are Pinewood. I mean, Pinewood has been, you know, they've done so many different films. But it was shocking to me that this film looks so bad because this is the Aliens. Alien. Both of those films are Pinewood Studios films and they do great work if the director is a guy who tells them exactly what he wants and he makes them do what he wants because you can get some friction. I remember on the Alien, I watched the Aliens behind the scenes documentary, a very honest one that was put out on the commemorative edition of Aliens, uh, the James Cameron movie. And James Cameron fought viciously with the Pinewood Studios effects guys all the time. George okay. Lucas, I found out later, fought with them a lot, but he didn't have the, there's a bit, George Lucas didn't have at the time the clout uh, to direct the the professionals at Pinewood. They would take tea breaks. They would not do his lighting the way he wanted to. They wouldn't do anything that he wanted them to do. And he had to do some of it. He had to do a lot more in reshoots, I guess, for New Hope. Yeah. By the time he did Empire, he had the clout to say something. Yeah. At this point in James Cameron's career, he is a complete asshole, yeah. right? And was brutal and just beat the, uh, with just his, just because he, because James Cameron can do anything on set, according to Stan Winston. Mm -hmm. And he just brutalized the Pinewoods guys until they just did what he want, wanted, right? Like, yeah. uh, uh, I'll probably cut this out, but this is more for, for you. Um, but there's a scene where he was trying to get the uh, the guys to shoot one of the face huggers jumping over the uh, the uh, cot to jump on Sigourney Weaver or Newt, I can't remember who. And I they, remember that, yeah. They couldn't do it. They wouldn't do it the way he wanted it to. And then he was just like, cut, we'll do this tomorrow. And then he he and Stan Winston at his hotel room did the scene the way he wanted to with just the, the animatronics in the hotel room. And he came back and showed it to the Pine Woods guys. He's like, if I'd had a fucking eight millimeter camera, I could have done this myself. So shoot it this way. And then they did it. And so Pinewoods does great things, but I think if you let these old pros do what they want, they're gonna they're gonna do it as easy as they can. And, and I, I think I wonder I wonder if the director that's what happened. Yeah, just was like that's fine. It's fine. Yeah, I I feel like that there's a lot of that in this movie. And you know, as we move on to uh, the villains and the. <laughs> bizarre tea party that they have. Um, you know, see what I'm talking about when they all have the green potions that are smoke coming out of them mm -hmm. and and um, Selena has invited Nigel to... It's a little party, right? It's a little party, right? It, it's a party. Nigel's there. I'm not sure why because she said she was going to kind of move on from him. I guess she wants to kind of show him up, which she does. That is horribly axing by everyone. It's true. It's true. Because um, she's showing off her powers and Nigel's there trying to convince her that she doesn't know what she's doing with the octahedron. She's like, well, I'm done with you. I know what I'm doing with the octahedron. And he goes off and starts trying to do what I think he does a lot, which is entice ambitious women who want to do magic into, into his into his special his special classes. That's when uh, uh, Faye Dunaway does some octahedron magic on this girl that he's, who's totally innocent. <laughs> she's, <laughs> she's just being hit on by Nigel and she's getting ready to take a drink from her, her potion and it turns into a scorpion. Yeah. And then in another bad effect scene, she, she turns the girl up Upside down and levitates her and oh. moves her all around and Nigel is, acts and he says this line don't do this to her do this to me and I'm just like we haven't seen any any indication that you're the kind of guy who would who would step up and take somebody else's right. bad experience um, right. but you're right the whole scene is awful awful and and it isn't helped 
at all by the fact that the set is also awful. Like they oh. walk in and it's 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 like bad Halloween. De- so you, they come into their lair and I think it's an old Halloween ride, but they come into their lair and it's got like crappy spider webs everywhere. And you walk through this like terrible set of like Halloween gags, skeletons and potions and nonsense. And then you come to this like very modern, very ugly looking kitchenette, right? And it's just like, what are you guys thinking? This is just like, is this part of the set or is this like something that like, you know, we weren't supposed to see and Faye Dunaway just accidentally wandered into this area to get a drink and they just kept filming because we, it comes back to this director who's like, it's fine. Well, but I'll tell you, that set specific reminds me of Batman and Robin, scenes from Batman and Robin. Oh, yeah, yeah. That kind of production design. Hey. So that's not a shout out to Supergirl to no. make that person, but I think it's an apt one. I, I actually, I was like, this is, and in fact, not just the set, but that whole green potion dinner party felt like something out of Batman. Uh, granted, that's a later film, yeah. but uh, I almost, as I watched it, I was like, you know, did Batman and Robin try to channel this movie? Well, and and, and the only real difference in, in the poverty of the, the imagination in the designs here and, and that movie that you're referencing, Batman and Robin, is just the quality of the set. Like, we can say a lot of things about how stupid Batman and Robin is, but they certainly put invested a lot more in the sets. They put they put a lot of money in. They exactly, still, exactly. They um, look like sets. They do, it's true. They look like well-dressed sets and uh, expensive sets. This this film looks like we could have done it in one of our Richmond apartments, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. You know, like, if we, had, if, if we had, like, decided to do, uh, this is, we're sitting around and we say, hey, we've got these Halloween decorations up. Let's do Superman, uh, Supergirl. Let's do a film. Let's film Supergirl. <laughs> you would be hard-pressed to tell the difference. You're right. So, so that's it's just it's just a disaster. That scene is a disaster, and we're Helen. I'm sorry, Faye Dunaway is playing it kind of campy. I think she's intending to be kind of campy with it. Her friend Bianca is, I mean, the actress who plays Bianca is playing it like she's doing a script read through. Yeah. Nigel is trying to play it, I think, serious. All of the extras in the scene are also with that script read through uh, energy. When the, when the girl gets when the girl who's eating the scorpion and gets spun around stands up, she's like, "Ooh, that's too bad. That happened," you know. And then she faints or something like that, and it's just. Oh, she's a character out of Batman and Robin. Oh, absolutely. Well, absolutely. And yeah. and it's just it's just like they were all sitting around with the exception of Faye Dunaway, who's actually trying to invest in a, in some kind of she's trying to do some kind of service for the for the film, right? Yeah. And I think the guy who's playing Nigel is trying to do some kind of service for the film. The director doesn't have any idea how to do service for the film. I think I think they want direction from him. Oh, I and think he so. doesn't give it to them. Well, we'll see more of that in the romance uh between Linda Lee, aka Kara's Orel. Ethan. I kept thinking he was the guy from Revenge of the Nerds throughout the whole movie. Yeah, now he's from Die Hard. And actually, he's worked a lot since then. I uh, was shocked. Which surprised me because he's not good in this film at all. Well, if, and, um, if, if people were to have careers on the basis of this film, no one... <laughs> No one deserved that. But so let's back up a little bit and and continue our journey with uh, Splash, I mean Supergirl, where she wakes up in the woods, she's on her cape, and uh, she's like, there's a rabbit, like coming back to that kind of fantasy element, it's eating next to her and, you know, kind of very comfortable around her. It's a very Snow White moment, very, you know. I like uh, that, yeah. It's fine. Um, And then she, she wanders her way into, looks like a girl's high school. She sees these these girls and she's like, oh, these, these are girls my age. And she infiltrates... Uh, 
again, this kind of violates some of her fish out of water stuff because she really definitely integrates herself into the all girls school. She writes herself a letter of recommendation from Clark. She somehow turns her Supergirl outfit into a to this to the girls school school outfit. Uh, hold, on, hold on, you have an explanation for this. I'm curious. Well, I noticed this today. They do show a close up when she's watching them from the bushes, where the camera kind of uh, looks up and or uh, goes from the top and goes all the way down to a girl in the uniform. Yeah, yeah, no. So she totally assessed what she had to do. Now, absolutely no, and I don't. I didn't mind that. I wish they would have done something to kind of explain why simply walking behind trees allowed her to become clothed in the girls' school uniform. No. I would have liked. I would have. I, I didn't mind that, but I. I was like, does her suit have like mystique? Like mystique is a character from X Men. Like, does it have those powers? What I would have liked was to see her like zipping and with super speed back and forth to the to the field, taking little bits from all of the different girls to get her outfit. Something that explained it. I thought that would have been a better thing. Or like, you know, like maybe one of the girls who were playing lacrosse, she could have said, well, look, there's one of their bags and she could have zipped over with super speed where no one would have noticed it and grabbed a bag and came back and got clothes on. You know, I think that would have been a neat touch. That is a great idea. But let me challenge you on that for just two reasons. One, this film's already long enough. Two, we don't really need another special effects scene that they're going to screw. This is true. But she could have done, they could have done this. There was a, there was a little gag that Muhammad Ali used to use you when where he would say, you want to see me throw my one, two? Did it. You know, and he, he, would, he would just kind of jerk his shoulders a little bit and he wouldn't move his hands. You could have done that scene where she she could have looked at a bag and you could have seen maybe there, there the girl's clothes kind of hanging out of it and you could have seen her do a little move, sound effect, and then she's got the bag. You wouldn't have needed to do the blue streak or anything like that, which they do terribly later on when she has the fight with the bulldozer, which I'll get to in a, in a bit. But but uh, anyway, but so that's cool. She integrates, but, but, but she does that really well. You know, like the, uh, she gets to the school and the principal sees her. And what I really liked about the principal, what I would have liked more of and a better written principal was just like how, just how tired of teaching he was. I liked- I, I, I thought the principal was fine. And 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 like, like, I kind of got the sense that, I mean, he didn't like any of the kids. I liked that. He, he didn't like his job. Like most teachers at his age would be. You've taught, I've taught, right? And it's a terrible job, especially if you've got like a lot of apathetic students. And he seemed to have a lot of like troubled kids at his school. And uh, and I, I kind of liked his weariness of, of the school. I would have liked to have seen him, you know, uh, uh, better written. And Nigel, who is the wizard and math teacher at the school, is equally kind of weary of the kids. And I kind of like that. I like, I, I kind of like the idea that the staff at this school, which is probably ex exorbitantly expensive. Well, God, the kids all have computers in 1984 in math class. I know, I know. And so, yeah, no, this is an expensive school. And, uh, but I just like that the teachers don't want to be there. I thought that was kind of a neat touch, but uh, not well explored. Well, there's a lot that's not well explored. I mean, I mean, there are little things like, you know, I, I kind of enjoyed the moment when uh, Kara is able to figure out the, the math equation that uh, he's presented to. And she's, I guess we're to assume that she kind of did it in her head while she looking through the wall of the, I, I liked that. I did too. I did too. I like that. Cause uh, so the scene that Jason's talking about is she has met, she's got a new roommate. She's, she's conned her way into this, this academy and her roommate, small world is uh, something Lane. What's her name? Lucy Lane. Lucy Lane, who is of course, uh, Lois Lane's sister who goes to this school. And that's also as close as we're going to get to seeing Lois in this movie. Although, uh, okay, but actually that is a little moment that was kind of, I actually laughed when he said, um, you know, uh, he mentioned the principal. You know, yeah, yeah, the principal, uh, Mr. Danvers, he he mentions Lucy's sister who never stops calling here. Yeah, it's yeah. It's kind of pictured Margot Kidder calling to check on her baby sister and being really annoying about it. I, I kind of like, I mean. That was, that was fine. I found it a little too uh, on the nose though to be recreating the Superman myth 
with with a girl, right? A woman, sorry, a young woman, I guess, and giving her Lois Lane, her own Lois Lane, you know, and making. Them- I thought. I think you're. I think you're expecting too much from the DC universe. I think all that's fine. That's that's probably true. That's probably true. I wish that they would have. I wish that they would have got a better actor. Well, I take it back. She might have been a great actress. She is working with this script. Who played uh, Lucy Lane? Oh, do you know who was originally supposed to play Lucy Lane? Who was originally supposed to play Lucy Lane? A young Demi Moore. Oh, yeah. She would have been. She would have been very good. Yeah. Not in this movie, but in a, in a different movie about Supergirl, she would have been very good. Yeah. You know? uh, this film also kind of reminds me of, uh, in many ways, the ambitious casting of Halle Berry's Catwoman. Mm. This film reminds me a lot of that that movie. Really? It does. It does. And if you heard the skepticism and sorrow and Jason's voice, it's because you haven't seen Halle Berry's Catwoman, and it's a uh, which has Sharon Stone in it, and and a few other good actors too. But but anyway, um, so uh, Kara infiltrates the school, and uh, she meets Lucy Lane, and sees a poster of her cousin, and they realize that the world is really much smaller because the, Lucy knows Clark, Lucy knows Jimmy Olsen, who we'll see later on in the film from the other three movies. What what else happens here that's kind of crucial? They first see the the love interest on the on campus, who's like uh, certainly going to be robbing the cradle. Yeah. The the lawn care guy who yeah. apparently is the most desirable man uh, on the planet just because everyone seems to, to, to want to go after him. All these all these women seem to want him. But um, what else happens here? That's nothing. Uh, the film. <laughs> The, kind, the film in this second act, it's almost like an intermission where we get to have kind of like a brief 80s comedy in a in a girl's school. Well, there's some there's some, there's some of that coming of age movie stuff happening because Tara and Lucy play lacrosse and there's some rivalry on their team because one, one of the girls tries to uh, trip Lucy and then they try to they try to smash her with one of the, the lacrosse ball, right? And there's a moment where, where Kara saves Lucy and uh, she gets hit by the lacrosse ball and it shatters. And that, everybody's kind of amazed by that it's not a great effect but like we're getting the sense that Lucy and and and, and Linda Lee Cara Zorel are becoming really good friends and then we get a, another classic 80s coming of age moment the women in the girls shower room right this was this was this was like a, a kind of a foundational scene in all kinds of films from the 80s and instead of being guys getting ready to cause trouble in the shower scene it's these two mean girls from the lacrosse team and they're gonna in a really brutal moment of peak turn off the cold water and turn up the hot water and one of the girls is like like, why don't we just do the cold water? We don't want to scald them. And then the angry redhead who is, uh, you know, just bitter about every. I don't know why she's so bitter and hates everybody. She just, she says, so what if they lose a few layers of skin? You know, I'm like, God damn, this is, this is a super villain in the making. I, I you know, uh, if we get a second one of these films, we won't. This is going to be the villain of the next piece, but she's trying to use the, the pipe wrench to affect this dastardly uh, plan, which is going to hurt everyone, not just the people she wants to hurt. Um, right. And Kara sees it and she heats up the, the pipe wrench with her heat vision while not burning through the walls or the ceramics in the shower room and the girls run out and they have a little moment and everybody laughs at them for their when the plan's foiled and they and the, the mean girls run through the shower and trip. So there's this a lot of those moments that don't that don't do anything for the plot, you know, not really. And they don't even do what they're supposed to do, which is establish that uh, Supergirl and Lucy Lang are becoming friends. They don't even do that very well. I agree. I agree. I, I actually, these this series of, of, of scenes are kind 
kind of symbolic to me of the whole movie. These scenes are really not done well at all. But I, but these scenes specifically, I kind of had fun with. Like I kind of I kind of enjoyed them. I I, I did have fun with them as well. They're, like you said, they're not well done. But but uh... oh, no no they're you just you just laid it out why they're not well done because actually these scenes are supposed to be all about Linda Lee slash Cara Zor-El coming best friends with Lucy Lane. The ideas behind the scenes are not bad. No. But executed in such a way that what the impact of that new friendship never really lands. No. Not the fault of the actresses, really. But um, it's, it's the fault of the script. It's a, the fault of the execution. It's, it's you know, a better director would be like, you know, we need Here, something a little more. We need, here's you know, what a better director would have done and with the limited amount of time they had. They would have had those scenes that we saw interspersed with just no dialogue scenes, but scenes of Linda, Cara, and yeah. and uh, Lucy just kind of hanging out, laughing, you know, like uh, the, the you know, eating or whatever and having a good time. Uh, Being at the arcade. Exactly, exactly. Uh, 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 I don't mean to reference other films, but a, a movie that does this really well, people were going to be shocked when I say this, is the film Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger. And in the opening scene, they have this like little montage, little bits of dialogue between he and a very young Alyssa Milano. And they just established that this is the father and daughter of the year. These guys love each other and yeah. they're having a great time. And it's, it's just a very efficient use of dialogue scenes and just scenes of them interacting with one another. They don't do that in this film. Not really, not well at all. Not well at all. And so so the lawn guy that everyone is like, oh, let me, let me back up. I wanted I wanted to make one more point about the principal who, whose, whose bitterness really knows. He's the skeletor of principles because um, he's reading this, this, this letter of recommendation from Clark Kent that Kara Zor-El has just forged on his typewriter. And she's like, and he's like, uh, oh, it's right here, right here. Biggest day, your letter of recommendation. I don't remember it. And so you're, you're an orphan? Don't expect that to get you any points here. That's what he says to her. He's yeah. like, you're not going to get any sympathy. And when he, when he introduces her to Lucy, she's an orphan, but don't, don't let her, don't let her put anything over on you. I'm just like, God, guy, you're the, you're the worst. And uh, I just thought that was funny. And I, I kind of like, it goes back to us liking some bits of this movie. But then the lawn guy, who everybody lusts after, is he's hustling in his two tight jeans and his cowboy boots and his five o'clock shadow that is constant. <laughs> and uh, he, he's delivering something to uh, Selena and Bianca. And this is, this is, this is where the real stakes of the movie start to happen, I think, because Selena has, uh, well, they're part of the stakes, but Selena has just created a love potion, right? Right. And <laughs> this kind of cracking me up a little bit. He comes in and he's got some delivery that he's got to give her. Um, you need some delivery service here, lady? I don't know. It's like a 70s porn movie or something. But but she's like, well, come on in. And they do this thing in this with just about every Faye Dunaway scene in the lair where they've just got the light over her eyes. Yeah. And she says, well, come in. Uh, let's have, uh, why don't you have a drink with me? And she puts the, the love potion in Schlitz malt liquor. And I just thought that was the, the best thing ever. Like, what a romantic gesture, lady. Faye Dunaway in a Schlitz malt liquor and he drinks it and almost dies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> While she's, so he, he doesn't look at her. He needs to look at her to affect the, the, the concretizing of the love potion. But before that can happen, Nigel stops by and he's very bitter about being cast aside again. We get more of this Nigel thing. You won't, I can teach you. Only I can teach you about the Akahed, Akahed. What is it called? Only I can teach you about it. And she doesn't believe him. But while they're having this like terribly written argument, an equally terrible scene happens in which poor actor gets up and he has to pretend to be affected by this potion in some of the 
worst stumble drone acting that I've ever <laughs> seen. Like uh, he makes himself trip over his own legs and it, it, he leaves, he sneaks out of the lair somehow, stumbles away and he falls down. And it is it is some of the worst acting I have ever seen in, in, our, in, our, in, in, our, in our journey in the podcast so far. Oh, I, oh, oh, my, oh, by far, by far. And uh, anyway, after uh, Selena and Bianca uh, give Nigel the boot, they come and find uh, Evan from Die Hard. He's gone. I don't know his name because it doesn't matter. And she gets really mad about this and she decides she needs to, to catch him. And they learn. then she learns about how she can affect the world using the mirror. That's what happens, right? Right. And then she sends the bulldozer after him. Right. The best set in the film. Yes. The expensive set in the film is this town. Okay. Is it a set? They built a town. <laughs> Well, that explains a lot about the rest of the movie. It looks great. It's a town. It does. I didn't. I thought they were shooting in a real place. I didn't realize it was a set. It is. Uh, I, it might be at Pinewood, but uh, in the documentary I I saw, they even show like this empty lot, you know, like surrounded by trees. Like we're gonna we're gonna build the town right here. So they built all all of that. The Popeyes, all of it. That is incredible. What a waste of money. I mean, it really was because they could have shot on location and yeah. probably saved money uh, because. Because this town looks really good. Uh, I mean, it does. It does. I, I thought that they shot like at a, at, a, at some downtown in you know rural. You know, this is a, the set looks like it could have stumbled. Out. It could be Greencastle, Indiana. It could be you know any yeah. of the rural Newcastle. It could be a bunch of the rural areas where we grew up. And I mean, I just thought it was a real place. And that's oh. I would have shot it. You yeah. know, it's the it's one of the only places where a lot of the compositing works really well. But it is not a place where the actor who plays the love interest works very well as he's getting chased by the bulldozer. Can you he's, name any scenes where he does work well? Uh, uh, no, there are not. Um, but so the bulldozer catches him and grabs him and lifts him up. And uh, and we see that Lucy Lane is as impulsive as her sister. Because she runs in front of this runaway bulldozer, gets in it, and she, she's having some luck. She's starting to steer it. And then <laughs> she gets knocked out in the worst scene. She, she's, the, the thing's supposed to, the bulldozer's supposed to turn sideways and she's supposed to have hit her head. And it looks like, here's what I think happened. She she's This is a scene, they're filming kind of a rehearsal. And she's like, so you want me to do this? and then kind of that's it cut perfect you know she she wasn't she was just giving her like a find my marks my marks rehearsal on the guy and then the director was like I love it uh, and, and we move on and I could just see her like no I wanted to All right, so we're moving on okay well great Um, but when she when she acts like she gets knocked out I laughed out loud because it is it is the worst sidebar you may have noticed this. I am noticing this as I edit this, but uh, the phrase the worst has popped up a lot in the last few moments. And there's really nothing to be done for it because, well, this film really is just the worst. So into the sidebar. Well, not only that, because actually, I mean, uh, you skipped over a small part, and that's that uh, Mark McClure as Jimmy Olsen is reintroduced at this time and apparently is dating Lucy Lane, I guess. And uh, Mark McClure is very good as Jimmy as Jimmy Olsen. He is. In, in all the Superman films, which uh, is at the hands of different directors. He also is terrible. And actually, there is specifically a moment after Lucy Lane gets knocked out and then Linda Lee becomes Supergirl, which is, I mean, really... Really, this is the central action scene. This is the really? act two action scene. Yeah, yeah. This is the act two action scene. It is probably best action scene in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. I think it has to be. It is. It's yeah, a no. thing, but it is. And um, towards the end of the action scene, there's this moment where the police usher Lucy, maybe not Lucy, but at least Jimmy Olsen and some other people into this truck. And Jimmy just kind of says that he's a member of press. And it, it felt like what you just said about a lot of these other scenes, like a run through. Yeah, like, yeah. I'm a member of the 
impressed. And Mark McClure knows how to play Jimmy. He does. He does. He knows how to do that. All right, Mr. Uh, Mr. Kent. Like, yeah, he does that kind of, he kind of raises his voice a little bit. Yeah. He's kind of annoying. He's got the bow tie and this kind of thing. And he's not, he's not that guy. No, no. Jeez. Um, not at all. Uh, and I have questions about Jimmy in this film. These are high school girls. Like, we're supposed to imagine that they're probably 16, 17, maybe, right? Somewhere in yeah, that area. Right. Jimmy Olsen has got to be late 20s, right? The uh, has got to be like the way they the way they dress him. Now, the actor in this in this movie, I actually looked at it, looked it up to see what it was. The actor is actually 30 years old, but he looks like he's pushing 49. I mean, like 39 hard, right? In this, he is like the Matt, uh, the Matthew McConaughey character from oh, what's that movie, High Times or whatever it is, where he's like he's the he's the stoner who's uh, almost 40 and he's always hanging out with high school girls. And I can't remember what the name of that movie is. I'll cut it in later on. But he's like that guy. He's like a 30 year old who falls in love. We can blame the love potion in a bit, but you know, but but Jimmy, we Jimmy doesn't get the love potion, the love potion excuse. Well, but you know, this is another problem with the film. Like once again, another character in this case, Jimmy Olsen, one that no is not really given an opportunity. We're not really told how does he know Lucy? Yeah. Oh, I mean, we can assume that it's that 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 Lois recommend you know set them up or something, but that's not really talked about. No. Nope. But in response to what you said, I will say this. Okay. Uh, in Superman three, when Clark talks about going back to Smallville and how it's it would be a great thing to see all your friends from high school. Jimmy does say to him, I don't know, Mr. Kent, all my friends from high school are still in high school. Okay, yeah, so maybe he's not that old. Okay, cool, yeah. okay, 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 I can I can see that. But this film does not explain any of it. No, no. This film, like, you get the sense that there are characters in this script that there were ideas behind every single one of them. Oh, yeah. Because you, you talked about Lucy Lane being like her sister. Well, see, I like that. I did too. But that hasn't been set up at all. No. There is absolutely nothing that they have done with Lucy Lane's character. That, in fact, when um, in watching it just today, I was like, "What the hell is she doing?" Yeah. yeah. Um, now, when you say you know that she's she's a lot like her sister. Oh, okay, I get that. Yeah. This film does not set up anything. Well, the only reason why I can say that is because I know Lois Lane, right? Or in the comic book, I know her in like multiple different series where she is the kind of person who inserts herself into danger, right? Yeah, yeah. She's often it's to get a story, but often she helps people too. She's a very brave reporter and like I, I so I'm I'm filling in I'm doing what you did for Superman three or three where we're filling in subtext. But you're right, they don't they don't explain it because they don't explain anything in this movie. And so So can we can we say this? Can we say that Supergirl doesn't even get fan service right? No, it doesn't. Not at all. Not at all. There are, for instance, I mean there are magical characters that are in the DC universe that they could have used for this film instead of this throwaway Selena person, right? They yeah. could have they could have leaned into the into the source material a bit. They could have, uh, uh, you know, they could have talked to, they could have done anything other than what they did, but they don't do fan service right. You're absolutely yeah. correct. I will say, though, that they don't give Supergirl powers that she, except for the clothing thing, I suppose. She doesn't have a lot of powers that she doesn't have in the comic book. Like her heat vision isn't also heat telepathy, te 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 telekinesis vision, right? Right, right. Um, so they, they do stay pretty close to what her powers are. She's got the x-ray vision, heat vision, she can fly, and she's got super strength. Now, after, after she saves the guy and she takes him away, uh, how does she end up getting him to the beach on the island or on the lake? Oh, how does that happen? I can't remember. Oh, he first sees her as Linda. Lee. 
and falls for Linda Lee. And then in the carnival, and they're kind of they're kind of doing this. Um, oh, and by the way, I guess I, I should say this. Helen Slater in the documentary said that in her mind, this was a puppy love. Okay. And that's the way that first love, Kara has never been in love before, and now she is. And and again, I'm I'm actually gonna continue to do shout-outs to Helen Slater. I think she does all that really well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I don't think that uh, Hart Faulkner as Ethan is is, is uh, does as well as she does. Does. But uh, so so they're they're doing this date, and then uh, Selena shows up to put an end to that because um, you know I mentioned earlier the the villain from the Beatles film who thinks that with a, a ring can dare I say it rule the world. Of course he's wrong. You know a, a, he he vastly overrates the ring that he has. Selena's problem is is that she has this octahedron which uh, will allow her to rule the world, and she does mention that a couple times. Yeah, but she seems content to win the love of this lawn maintenance guy. So she has the opposite problem. <laughs> yeah, and, and her friend, you know, uh, Bianca's like, uh, why are you worrying about this guy? This Why is this, why are you interested in this lawn guy? You know, there are bigger fish to fry. Maybe you need to worry about this girl who looks like Superman, you know? Right. And then she's just, but Faye Dunaway's character, uh, Selena, is really the most aggressive cougar in, in science fiction history and cinema history, you know? And this is the dumbest plot point in a film full of dumb plot points. Now, if the film was going to lean hard into camp, it's fine. But since it doesn't know what it wants to be, it just is another stupid thing that happens in the movie. You know? I, no. And so, um, so she will not be denied the love of this lawn care guy, right? And so I don't know what the charm is. When you have the octahedron and you can do anything, as we'll see, right. why does a guy who dropped out of high school and looks okay in tight jeans, really, why is it? Why is that all that you want? Right. Uh, anyway, so Supergirl takes him away and she's like, look, don't. he's very worried about Linda Lee, her alter ego. And she's like, it's okay. He's fine. She's fine. She's fine. No, I just trust me when I tell you this. So, hey, truth, justice. I mean, that's that's my gig. That's my family. I trust me. She doesn't say that, but that's what she should have said. And were they cribbing lines from Romeo and Juliet for him? It sounded like they were. I I didn't recognize any lines, but I mean, that was all terrible. I wish I'd had more time to look it up, but I think I think they were lines from Romeo and Juliet. And you know, if you're a scriptwriter in a hurry and you want yeah. to get through this and be like, well, what does he say? You know who no. doesn't have copyright protection William Shakespeare that's, yeah and that's so right, yeah. they inject a because it sounds because he delivers those lines actually the, the guy who plays the boyfriend the, the lawn care guy he does deliver these lines from Romeo and Juliet pretty well you know yeah. um, and maybe he's done that that play before in college or wherever he, he cut his acting teeth but he was probably oh I can I can do this I can inject some emotion into this oh go ahead <laughs> and so yeah <laughs> I'm sure the director was like whatever it's fine well and then there's that terrible line where he's like Linda I I know that I'm just a an, uh, a poorly educated lawn care guy, but I can take care of a wealthy young debutante from. Well, it's just, it's just, I, I, I laughed out loud when I heard that. Like, no, I did too. I did too. And, uh, and, um, and, but he is worried about Linda and he's talking to Kara and, uh, and then they, and Kara kisses him. He does. And, and, and then he's like, oh, Linda, right? Yeah. Of course, Faye Dunaway is, is pulling a Skeletor here and she's watching all of this through her magic mirror. She's trying to figure out how to, she hits him with a coconut at some point. <laughs> so like, so sorry, let me back up a little bit. When they get to the beach and they're safe away from, uh, away from the witch, the wicked witch of the fairgrounds. 
like out of nowhere and with no explanation really a giant coconut like lands and hits this poor lawn care guy uh which like this was when this was a big un unripened coconut before some of the stuff before it shed some of its outer shell would have killed him from the height that it falls on him and then she hell uh, sorry uh faye dunaway's selena character is ecstatic about having just nearly killed her love interest yeah. car well, she can't have him no one can <laughs> exactly, exactly um and so uh then he wakes up and then we, we get to the moment where he kisses and then he realizes that supergirl and and Kara Zarel are the same people i'm mean, sorry supergirl and linda are the same people the whole while selena is trying to magic the lawn care guy to her and she has this lament i can drop a coconut on him with pinpoint accuracy but i can't bring him back to me <laughs> right and so but she finally after 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 the kiss between supergirl and super and, and lawn care um she must figure it out because in a terrible effect he's just gone from the scene they just kind of it's it's a terrible I, edit it would have worked well in the start original star trek television that would have been fine would have been fine then in 1963 or whenever that was in this film it does it's underwhelming to say the least and uh Kara's like what happened like one minute he was here and then through the magic of editing he wasn't she flies off to try and find him and he gets whisked away and uh put under the spell of selena if memory serves and then in yeah. one of the so she's so then supergirl's flying around to try and find him and one of the things i noticed is that this film is terribly edited did you notice that like yeah yeah, yeah. there's missing frames there's the the you you cut from one scene to the next without a lot of logic uh it's yeah. just it's just really badly edited and then uh while she's looking for lawn care uh, uh selena creates her own layer i can do anything well because she in in a very underwhelming scene she seduces nigel and takes his feather stick oh right i forgot about the feather stick. the combination of the octahedron and the feather stick make one into a divine being it's true what the hell you want so i didn't know nigel i mean had that kind of power i mean he was a math teacher let's remember yeah yeah, yeah. that feather stick had to you know if it could um increase the power of the octahedron to that degree it had to have been pretty powerful on its own but i'm not sure why nigel was so incompetent well um nigel is the modern nigel in this film is this is susan collins my senator from maine um he believes selena when she says oh nigel i've learned my lesson we should we should be a team and then of course she snuggles up to him gives him a little kiss and steals the feather stick in uh in the most unconvincing way where the camera watches her hand go down his sleeve to his hand which is holding the and he's holding which is holding the feather stick and he must feel what she's doing and then she just ha ha now and then she has it and which which is why my susan collins uh comparison is so apt <laughs> so now she's got the feather stick which is sort of like the equivalent of the the wand dildo that zoltair will use uses and she makes nigel super old for a little while which is a which is an event that goes nowhere later on uh oh, and earlier she put scratches on his face and that goes nowhere yeah she's a she's as she's as incompetent as at being a witch as as he is at seeing through her subterfuge you know um but then she's like uh so now i'll have my lair and then in another terribly edited scene we're at, we're at, we're at the city set and then in the background fucking devil's tower appears right and and then there's a castle on top of it and like if this is a camp movie this is perfect right but this isn't and it i mean it just doesn't it doesn't know what it wants to be but i i did laugh out loud i was like what the fuck <laughs> you know <laughs> 
And then, and conveniently though, by putting Devil's Tower in Kara's new hometown, it's very easy to find the villain. And so Kara, in one of the more convincing effect shots, Kara, Kara flies up Devil's Tower and she confronts Selena, only to very quickly be caught in a Phantom Zone uh, slab, right? Yeah, and and then of course she discovers that Lucy and Jimmy and Nigel mm-hmm. all in these orb cages. Yes, that's right. Well, I think that happens a little later. Um, she no, no, they're there. They're there at that. Are time. they there? Okay, they're there at that time because I know. Uh, they send. She sends. Uh, sorry, Selena is who I mean. Well, no. Uh, well, wait, wait, wait. Oh, shit, shit. Sorry. Because when Lucy and people of the town are picketing with. Selena must go signs, which is like, oh, you know, apparently there's things that we haven't seen. People now know who she is. She now has her own secret police force. Yes, yes. Lucy decides to 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 explain to everybody that she, you know, and, and narrate for them the the recent missing roommate that she has, Linda Lee, who who went missing, you know, when such and such event happened. And of course, uh, Selena's listening and she's like, bring them to me because Selena is able to figure out by just watching the, the random conversations on the street you know who who Kara's friends are so yeah. she's a far more a, apparently a far more competent villain than Superman ever well that's right and the other thing too is that we we, we know too that that Selena and Bianca are expert lip readers because it doesn't seem to produce sound because th- there's a there's a moment back at the beach with uh with uh Kara and lawn care and lawn care says I love you and Selena says what did he say Bianca says look like he said I love you but they're not hearing it. So they're just lip reading. These women, these women are amazing. But so Kara gets caught uh, because she has to go save her friends in the Devil's Tower in the middle of fucking wherever, Illinois. And uh, I, I like that idea. I mean, I really did get a kick out of Devil's Tower in the middle of like Midwestern Illinois, you know? And she's like, bye-bye, Kara. And Kara's off to the Phantom Zone. While she makes out with lawn care guy. Yeah. Last thing that she sees before she is banished eternally. In the same pane of glass yep. at uh, the three villains from the first two Superman films. Yep, she lands in in the Phantom Zone. She tries to fly back to where, I don't know how she thinks she's going to get where she's going, but she leaps up in the air and falls flat on her face. And that was kind of funny. I laughed about that too, because I was was impressed that Helen Slater just leapt up and did it. You know, I'm sure she landed on a map, but she was just, it looked good. And then she tries to crush a rock and she ends up cutting her hands. And this effect is so good because the blood that's supposed to be on her hands looks like like there was a ketchup packet between her and the rock. And, And at some point she gets like caught in toxic waste or something I don't know and uh, she's saved by a wander in the wasteland in a Zoltar uh, that's right Zoltar wearing a very dirty Christmas sweater Uh, so what I want to what I what I think I want to say is they spent all their money on that town set and then they were just like well how do we do the Phantom Zone slap dash was their motto again and so it looks very sparse it looks like a lot of foam rock and again we get Peter O'Toole Jason say a little bit about how great Peter O'Toole can be Peter O'Toole is one of uh, my favorite actors I would put him on a very short list of people that I would uh, be very happy to see in a commercial marketing diaper like yeah. almost anything that he did baby food, dog food, just n- name anything. Do you remember uh, how excited we got when we thought he was going to pick up the, the wand for Dumbledore? Oh, well, he was my pick. Yeah. And I, I was very excited when I heard his name mentioned. I, uh, to this day, I still think that if you wanted to pick somebody who could follow in the footsteps of his best friend, Richard Harris, it, it would have been smoother. It would have been less jarring. Absolutely. Well, because they they have almost, I don't know if they ever intended this, but they have almost the same mannerism. They're best. They were best friends. Okay, okay. So, so anyway, 
Anyway, he can be great. Yes. In this film, he is not. And but this is this this scene here is the best work that he does in the film, and it's not good. But but he tries to be a little humorous sometimes. Like he's got like this little squirt, uh, this like little I think like some kind of like food packet that is in a spray jar, and he squirts it into people's mouths. Yeah, some kind of version of alcohol yeah. or drugs for Kryptonians. Yeah. Why he had that on his person before he went to the Phantom Zone, and why it's lasted in this song, I don't know. Because uh, he's been there forever. He says that's what he says. Um, and so I, you know, I, I, I don't quite, I don't quite get all that. Now I can tell you that uh, in the documentary that I watched, that uh, Jono Schwark stopped directing him at a certain point. Whenever he would begin to kind of give him ideas, O'Toole would just be like, "Oh, you want me to do da 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 da?" And so Schwark was like, "Oh, okay, you got it." Uh, Schwark's idea was, "Oh, this guy is so experienced that he knows what I'm going to say before I say it. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna let him go and let him do that Peter O'Toole thing." Well, yeah, it doesn't work. Uh, but so they, so he and Helen Slater chew some scenery together, and uh, Zaltar is very much depressed, and he's not. He says, "Oh, we can't get out. There's no way to get out. Or there is a way, but if we fail, we die. So let's just sit here and have a squirt." Supergirl uh, plays some reverse psychology on her former tutor, and she's like, "Yeah, that's right. Let's just stay here and be defeated." Uh, I, she does something, and and it's just a scene that doesn't work. You know, where the teacher become where the student becomes the teacher, and they're they're trying to get that energy going on. Peter O'Toole is just not interested in any of it. I felt like Helen Slater was really doing a lot more of the work in that scene and not getting not getting much feedback from O'Toole. Because it's a bad scene. Yeah. Because, because the problem is, the problem that strikes me about Dean is, the so wait a minute, this guy knows a way out. He has nothing to live for. Yeah. He knows that this, his pupil, because she is, she's his pupil, yeah. out there somewhere on her own, even though she's super strong, she's trying to save the people. <laughs> of Argo City. Apparently, and I guess we need to talk about that for a second. You notice that saving the people of Argo City is never even really mentioned again? That was one of the things I was thinking. She is so laid back when she gets to high school. It's like, the people are dying, aren't they? Well, I guess it's taking place in inner space. Maybe there's some kind of time. But, okay. But they don't explain that. They don't explain it. This film doesn't explain anything. It doesn't explain why Zoltar chose to stay. Because actually, just what we know of Zoltar, I would think, you know, why not give it a shot. Yeah. You know, because what's the worst that could happen to you? You become a singularity, or I think. Yeah. Uh, okay, fine. But what happens when your squirt bottle runs out? Yeah. Sooner or later, you're going to give it a shot. It's amazing that you even know. I mean, Zod and Nan and Ursa from Superman 1 and 2, apparently they didn't know about this. No, this, no. This escape. Um, and they would have been quite capable to uh, of doing that. So Zoltar has this information. Zoltar, it's established in the very first scene in which he says the reason he wants to leave our City is that he's bored yeah. to learn about new things. So even though he has the knowledge to go somewhere else and to take a risk and to take a chance, he's not going to do it. It doesn't make any sense. No, no. And and consider how interesting Argos was compared to where he is. Yeah, he's now wearing a dirty Christmas sweater for all eternity. <laughs> why would you even? Why would you waste that? I mean, I don't even know how long he was there. Now it could be that time works differently there, and he was confused because he says it feels like I've been here forever. He doesn't say it feels like, but he says I've been here forever. Well, maybe it yeah. just feels that way. But we know that he's he's had to, he hints that he's had to scrabble and fight with villains. They're over there, over the hill. Okay, you know, not even like, there would have been a nice moment for fan service, you know? But but so it's it's a life of boredom and struggle. So why not why not take the chance and leave? But maybe he was waiting for Kara, you know? Maybe, but he doesn't say that. They don't, they don't say that, you know? So, so when she arrives, he saves her from the muck and gives her a squirt of, of his vodka or whatever the fuck it is. And then she talks him into trying the, uh, 
find the, the, the way out. They've got to walk uh, along this cliff's edge very close to two intertwined tornadoes that I suppose are supposed to be black holes. Is that effect okay? Do you think that effect is good? No, not really. I mean, for its time, no, no. Actually, I even stumbled across this movie and that particular scene yeah. went on cable like in the late 80s. And I was I was horrified at what I saw. Like, I, I remember thinking, ugh, yeah. I guess the reason I never watched that looks really bad. And so they're, they're climbing up this barren cliff. Uh, Peter O'Toole, here's a moment where I thought that he was doing some good acting where he looks really kind of scared. Like, he looks like he's very nervous and just on edge because this is a very harrowing thing they're doing and his eyes are very big and he's... I actually thought, well, gosh, you're gonna do... That's some great acting. The only great acting you did for, like, the, the, the five minutes, you know, the, for the 20 minutes you were in this movie, you, you chose this this three-minute segment to just... I, he knows what he's doing. I mean, he knows oh, yeah. basic stuff, but I just don't think any of these actors were given any. No. While they're escaping in in in, sim- in scenes that we're gonna we're gonna cut back and forth through, Selena is watching. She sees some kind of prophecy or whatever the the orb, the octahedron, tells her there's a danger. You must uh, something about like the black hole or something. And so she looks into her her Skeletor viewing lens and she sees the double black holes. And she's like, oh, this is interesting. Then uh, Bianca is like, oh look two people on the two specs what yeah. is that and Faye Dunaway is like uh, it's she recognizes that it's her enemy Kara Zor-El and then she casts you know Dark Shadow again what she did earlier in the film to no effect I cast Dark Shadow and rockets but anyway uh, nothing happens uh, the first time she, she does her spell Peter O'Toole gets separated a little bit from Kara and they, he scrabbles back up to her and uh, she's like come on come on stay with me stay with me and he's like I'll always be with you by the way that's foreshadowing <laughs> they get separate he pushes her on ahead go girl go and then he does a very kind of nice Peter O'Toole face I'll always be with you before he's whisked off by the singularity you know given a fate worse than death with that effect of him falling into it would have been better if they just like swept him away and that was it right yeah. but then we yeah. get like this really terrible effect of him falling and tumbling down into the center of the black hole where he'll you know run into Robert Forrester and who else I don't know well like most scenes in the movie I don't think that it really works I think what makes it worse is actually what happens after. happens after is uh car returns to the the castle the tower you're talking yep, devil's tower can you explain to me is there a reason why she can't just send her back um she does have feather one i don't know i don't know why she couldn't do it that's what occurred to me this time it's like well why doesn't she just do that again i mean great car could just go through the uh the little uh the obvious escape cave well, I mean, it's not hard to find <laughs> what i don't get is like like the phantom zone is supposed to be this you know this unescapable place and again it doesn't look very hard does it no with with like so much of the very declarative this cannot be undone kinds of moments plague the superman you can't undo this yeah you know you can never escape except oh i mean got it if she hadn't thrown those flame balls down there zoltar might have made it. oh yeah yeah and and, and and he would have come out and said oh i don't know why i didn't do that ages <laughs> yeah yeah um and uh yeah uh, that's right she didn't cast magic rockets she cast you know balls of uh, uh flame so but yeah that's the only reason why zoltar didn't make it but then kara just blasts through and i'm just like why did anybody bother with this fucking prison at all and so she lands and she lands in the lair then then kara has a little weird fight with with selena selena threatens her friends with if you do anything i'll drop your friends on these spikes and uh and kara does some supergirl stuff and then the weakest scene the weakest 
scenes in yes. the film happen when when Selena conjures up a monster and they have to change they, it's a terrible effect and they must have known that everything about the monster looks stupid as fuck and so what they do is they change the aspect ratio right yeah. and so they, they they cause the creature to stretch out and then they 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 I think they must have put Vaseline on the sides of the of the of the lens so we would get like this blurring effect so that we wouldn't get to see a very clear bit of this creature that they had made that that Pinewood Studios had made and uh but the problem with that is when they when they when the creature attacks Hara her aspect ratio is also changed they didn't yeah. they didn't composite that very well at all and so that this is it's this giant monster you know and it tries to pull her apart and somehow she she uh, is fighting it and uh she's like I can't defeat it and then that's when she hears the force will be with you Luke always no no it's uh, it, it's it, it's actually I mean it is actually aping that 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 moment from Star yeah. Wars but did you think that oh well, there's no doubt and and but in this in this instance Zaltar who's been struck down and is now more powerful than anyone could possibly imagine uh he says you must turn the shadow on Selena he says something like that so he but somehow Kara turns the evil energy onto Selena do you know what happens I, I didn't quite understand what happened Nigel Nigel tells her to do that oh, Nigel does that okay yeah Zaltar just kind of gives words of encouragement oh okay it's Nigel's like you watching the shadow on her and why Nigel knows this because this creature was summoned by by the octahedron which he does not understand yeah see uh, but actually you know I think that you're a little rough on the effect of the creature and a little kind on the effect of Supergirl in his claw because actually I think the creature looks looks kind of fine until Supergirl actually is in his clutches okay that, that specific moment and you described it very well about the aspect ratios is is the worst effect in the movie it is this is the worst this is the worst action scene in the film. this is the worst action scene in the film and look this movie's got lots of problems but it is a major problem when the climactic action scene not just the, not just the climactic action scene but the climactic action moment when supergirl is actually in the clutches of this creature that looks like it came from the freelings house in poltergeist only is like much bigger yeah, yeah. and it doesn't really look like that the creature is even touching her yeah she's kind of stretching and the hands you can kind of see them on either side of the uh, of the frame but it doesn't even look like that it's gripping her it is it is it is a profoundly ineffective moment and that is the mo like that is the the crucial action moment of the entire climax it is and it is so bad that it that it actually sinks this movie so much lower than it already was oh yeah yeah no i i don't know how that made it through dailies maybe it just goes back to that uh that director being a really that's eh, fine that good that's good yeah um let's get into editing where i can say that some more oh that's fine uh, we're missing well, see, frames. i don't care that's just put it together well see so and then you go back to the original superman and if you read about all the work they did about making superman fly and all the things that they tried the the idea was and richard donner was the big the big prime mover behind this the tagline is you will believe a man fly we have to land that we can't we can't be late if something doesn't work we got to get rid of it and we got to try something else they don't do that with this movie because that moment specifically really doesn't work there's lots of there's lots of moments in this movie that don't work yeah. but a lot of that is the script maybe the acting but this is an effect that is just absolutely unfair. oh it, it absolutely is good and, and you nailed it too when you said it doesn't even look like he's holding her and then what i think we're supposed to get from that scene is that the creature's trying to pull her apart yes but, but 
but that's not, but because, because they're using the aspect ratio thing to do it, I'm like, is she suddenly plastic man? Why is this, why does she look like this? You know, she's not or, or elastic girl or any of our stretchy heroes. You know, that's not how it works. Um, what we should have probably seen is her being normal looking for the most part. Right. And just being a lot of pain because human beings like us, we don't stretch. You know, when people yeah. are drawn and quartered, it's not like a, a rubber band stretching out. Into, right. It's, it's much more grisly and it's probably a lot more painful, but, but in this one, it's like, she's being stretched like a Gumby figure. And it's not a bad idea for an action scene because then they cut back to Selena and she's trying to get the sense that she's controlling the creature because she's the one that, you know, her, 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 her hands are in fists and she's twisting and she's actually experiencing ripping Supergirl to shreds. This should be a really, really impactful moment. Well, Faye Dunaway, no, no, say that again. Uh, it's not impactful at all. And and, and Faye Dunaway is actually uh, doing a good job of selling her being the puppet master. And again, yeah. that goes back to what a great actress she is. And it's just too bad that, that nobody in this film gets to really do Supergirl justice that I think that the character could, could have. Um, yeah. And going back to what you were saying about Donner, um, I, I think one of the things you were you were getting at was that they took so much care in the story and in the effects and in the telling. And we don't see that level of care anywhere near no. with Supergirl. The film really suffers for it. So they get the shadow turned back on Celine. Oh, that's right. And then it starts to... And here's some more bad, bad stuff that happens. Uh, Faye Dunaway's character is getting swept up in the shadow beast. Shadow beast is going to end up going into the phantom zone. And Dunaway's voiceover work here is in keeping with her character. She's still selling it. She's still going for it. But <laughs> Bianca's like, no, 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 And it's just, there's, they're totally, Bianca and, and Selena are two actors completely uh, at odds with each other in terms of performance, right? Like Dunaway. They, they, they didn't, well, they didn't think that. They thought that they had a lot of chemistry. Well, they, I, I bet they did because the thing that I was thinking of as, we, as we've been talking is they're trying to do Otis and Hackman a little oh, bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and Nigel's kind of a third wheel in that, in that, that thing. But because the writing is so bad and Faye Dunaway does her best to be Gene Hackman. Yeah. To do that, not to be Gene Hackman, but to be Faye Dunaway being the mean boss. Right. Um, but the writing is bad and she doesn't really get a shine. And and her other act, her other people don't know how to mesh with her. Bianca doesn't know how to mesh with her. Nigel doesn't either. I mean, I was about to give Nigel a little bit of credit, but I can't. He, he doesn't he doesn't do it well at all either. Yeah. So that trio of henchmen don't work. Uh, oh, I, I yeah, I think actually the, the villains are, are are done particularly poorly yeah. in, terms of the, in terms of the script and in terms of the, the direction. Like there's just no, it's not that anyone's really done well. But then um, Faye Dunaway is, is is kind of consigned into this effect from a Jefferson Airplane video and and uh, and I guess consumed by the beast. He didn't build that city. Yeah, and, and then you talk about a movie that is eager to wrap things up. Oh my God, yes, yes, oh my God. That is amazing. Uh, I'm so glad you did that and you you succinctly nailed it. Take it away. Yeah, because it, it it's there's a, a, a quick goodbye to Jimmy, a, a, a quick goodbye to uh, the lawn care dude who indicates that he does know that uh, Kara and Linda are the same person, but Linda has to go. Linda takes the octahedron, yep. flies away, and we see her returning to uh, Argo City. Roll the credits. Well, yeah, it starts to light up, and I was like, oh, I, I, was, I was looking forward to seeing a reunion of Mia Farrow, and it's just like, boom, credits! <laughs> 
And I was like, what the fuck? The other thing too, so we don't even get a resolve. We don't get to see or see your parents again. At, but like the town is uh, where Devil's Tower is. They're all just kind of milling about. And then in another terrible effect, one moment the tower with the castle is there. And then the next moment it's not. And it's just like, I would have liked to have seen a bigger payoff. But what I really wanted to see, and I'll be honest, everybody, I wanted them not to take the tower away. I just wanted that to be there forever in Ohio, <laughs> I mean, Illinois, right? Like, that's weird. Well, we got to deal with this. Just a tower in the middle of the Midwest with the castle on top. Because I just thought that would be pretty funny. That would have been a funny way to end it. But that disappears and the and everybody just kind of jumps and, oh, what's that? It's all everything. Oh, back. yeah, Lucy. Well, Lucy and Jimmy are kissing and she says, oh, what a kiss. <laughs> yeah. But Argo slowly lights up and then it's just credits. And I, I waited, I said at the beginning, I waited to the end to see if they, they were optimistic and, and had at the end of the credits saying, Supergirl will return. But that doesn't happen. No, it doesn't happen. Uh, and, and for good reason, this yes. film was a massive flop. Massive. Yes. It was su- it was such a disaster that, that Saul Kynes sold the rights to Superman to the canon group. Well, we've talked about this movie kind of killing, almost killing the whole franchise because they don't make another Superman movie until 87. They don't. Right. And uh, and of course, the Saul Kynes are not the producers of that film. Yeah, yeah, no. They really, they bailed out after this because this was a disaster. Well, and, I, I think they... And they didn't expect it to be. Well, I'm going to shock you here real quick because I just got curious and I went over to Amazon and this film gets on Amazon from out of 1,219 ratings, it averages four and a half stars. Are you kidding? I I, I, I shit you not. Um, out of out of fifty stars? No, no, out of so four and a half stars. <laughs> <laughs> that would be more. That would be more appropriate. It gets a much lower score on IMDb. I can, I'll look that up here again real quick. But but yeah, that, I mean that's that's a lot of four and five star reviews. Yeah, seventy two percent are five star rating. I, uh, is uh, it? It's a cult classic, I guess. I mean, it must. It must be. Now uh, um, here's here's a, here's a reviewer. Uh, his headline uh, is: "It's not nearly as bad as you've been told." From Jay, but he's wrong. Right. It's it is as bad as you've been told. Well, it's worse. <laughs> I, I I actually think. I mean, okay, the second time that I watched it, I kind of had some fun with it. And, and I probably would if I ever watched it again. I, I, I will I will hazard a theory. I actually think Helen Slater is very, very likable. And I think that that might be because she's, I would refer to her performance as disarming. She's so likable that you almost don't want to criticize her. This is her first film. She's, you know, th- this young actress. And, and she really does nail the innocence that the, that the role kind of requires. And she certainly looks the part. One of the things that I noticed, and and I'm not um, um, not really a, a a fashion guy or you know, somebody that that, that, that uh, assess how someone looks, you know, all the time. But when I looked at her as both Linda Lee when she was a, a brunette, and also when she's uh, in the costume and, and and blonde, I would look at her while I was watching it, and I would just think, you know, she she has a very kind of classic look to her. Yeah, yeah. She doesn't look like an '80s actress. There are some films, even good films, good films that we love where there are actors and actresses that have haircuts or or they're dressed in a certain way that we just are kind of like oh wow i forgot and she she looks really good like timeless i think is the is the right she she has she has a timeless look about her she she has this she gives kind of a disarming performance i would not say a career making one because it's hard for me to imagine her stretching herself beyond i like her in i think very good supergirl and if if this if this had been if this film had had a better director and a better script I think that she could have been the, the like a 
Christopher Reeve nobody really becoming a star, which is what they wanted. Well, I, I think so too. I, I think if, the, if, if, if it had all those things and a director who better understood the limitations and what they were going to need to do with the budget to work with that script, because I think that they could have done it. They could have used a lot more matte paintings for the, for the yeah. scene, right? And they right. could have like, picked a few places where they wanted to do things, do a lot of location shooting, right? They could have, they could have done it on the budget that they had. Uh, but going back to Helen Slater, I, one of the, I, I liked her too. And, and the other person I liked a lot in this film is I liked Faye Dunaway. I, I enjoyed her a lot in this film. Yeah. And it is too bad because I, I think she's, she's fine with a better script. She could have. What I, what I saw when I was watching the film was that with a better script, Faye Dunaway could have given us a character as fun as Gene Hackman's Lex Luthor. I thought. Oh, that's a real possibility. And the, the other dialogue thing I thought was garbage. So what? The dialogue is such garbage. Oh, though. It, oh, it is. It is. And there's nothing that any actor in this movie can do about it. Nope. Yeah. And, and as we've said, Faye Dunaway tried. But the thing that I thought was really impressive in its own way, as impressive as the Clark Kent Superman transformation, is just that she does, Helen Slater does look very different as Linda Lee yeah. versus Supergirl. And I, I believed, I did believe that transformation. I was like, well, that's why she doesn't look at, at all that much alike. You know, somebody might say, well, she's sisters with Supergirl. You know, they might say that. Right, but right. but only if you were looking close and if you knew if you knew Supergirl that well and she's blurring by so quick. So here's the question. Is it like Superman 4 in that it's so bad that it's good? This time I would say yes. The first time I watched it uh, a couple months ago, I would have said no because I was really just in awe at how bad it was. And this time I I was able to have fun with it. I was able to do um, not look past how bad it is, but I was able to kind of have fun and enjoy it. Okay. So look, it is a long film. It is kind of, yeah. It's, it's a solid two hours and it, it does it does drag a bit. It's not a movie that I would watch. Yeah. yeah, I'm probably on the fence. Maybe if I watched it again, I would probably be on the same, I would, I would be as, as fully endorsing it as as you are as so bad it's good because you, you're not fully endorsing it. I, I, no. <laughs> sorry about Jason. Jason looked like he was a little nervous that I had said that, but <laughs> but uh, but it is so long. I, I, I'm not as eager to watch this one again as I am Superman 4. You know? uh, I, would, I would agree with you. So, verdict? Uh, this is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. Uh, I, I, I have a hard time recommending this to anybody uh, except in the context of a bad movie night friends. It's it's really, really terrible. I, I would qualify my my verdict that I think Helen Slater is really, really good. I actually love her as Supergirl, yeah. but almost every production aspect of this film is horrible. Uh, and I, I can I cannot rec I cannot recommend it to anybody. And all I can say to that verdict is uh coats. I no, I have nothing to add though. It's uh if you're like Jason and I and you're kind of completists, yeah, see it. Don't don't email us about how bad we warned you. All right, that's uh Max and Jason watching a movie. Jason, you see anything lately you want to recommend to anybody? Um uh, I think so. I just uh, completed, uh, my daughter was in town. Uh, she was here for about a, a month or so uh, from school. And yeah. uh, we binged his Dark Material, the, the HBO series based on the Philip Pullman trilogy of the same name, which I recommend everybody read the books. But I also I also like the new, I like the tr I like this uh, his Dark Materials uh, series on HBO Max. So yeah, that's what I would recommend. But that's all I got. Uh, if you want to email us and talk to us, it's lordmovies39 at gmail.com. Share us with your friends on all the things, the Facebooks, the Twitters, the Instagrams maybe. I don't know. You know what the fuck to do. Uh, leave us a five-star review at Apple uh, on Apple Podcasts. That's me signing off. Jason, you got anything to say? Nope. All right. Bye, guys. Later. Linda, I know that I'm just a, an, uh, a poorly educated lawn care guy, but I can take care of a wealthy young debutante.